Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. Well, we're going to take a break this morning from our series in Ephesians because today is Palm Sunday. And historically, this is the, the Sunday that Christians celebrate the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem before he was crucified. And I thought it would be good for us to read through the scripture today and, and look a little closer at some of the people and people groups that the Bible mentions in describing the events that surround Jesus' triumphant or triumphal entry and really his final week before he gave his life on the cross. And, and, and honestly, I don't think these people were a lot different than we are today. We have the same issues. Uh, but let's turn to Luke and jump right into it today. Luke 19, 28 through 44. After telling this story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. And that's where we're going to start today. And I, it, this kind of sets the stage a little bit. But Jesus was in Jericho, and, uh, which was about 19 miles from Jerusalem. And this is where he healed if you remember scripture, this is where he healed uh, the blind eyes of Bartimaeus. Jericho is, is where he called Zacchaeus out of the sycamore tree, and, and then he went to his house, and not only Zacchaeus came to the Lord that day in salvation, but his whole household was saved that day. Uh, it's also, Jericho is also um, where he preached, right, this is right, and I'm giving you this in order, he preached the parable of the talents, and and. Now, I think this is interesting because this is right before he goes to Jerusalem. Jesus gave vision to a blind man, a, a miraculous event, a healing, gave a vision to a blind man. He, he gave salvation to the lost, again, Zacchaeus and his entire household. Then he taught his followers about finances, the parable of the talents. That's what he did prior to, to this scripture I just read. After telling this story, that story is the parable of, of the talents. Then it says, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. I mean, this is just a day in the life, a week in the life of, of, of our Lord. He was a busy guy. Three years of ministry, he changed the face of the planet forever. We're here today because of what he did 2,000 years ago in three years. It's pretty phenomenal. So continuing on, Luke 19, 29 says, as he came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. And this verse really just gives us some geographical information and some insight about the journey itself. More than likely, Jesus spent the night in Bethany at the home of his friends, which who in Bethany, he knew Mary and Martha and Lazarus, right? And it is, it's in this house that Mary anointed the feet of Jesus, and not the same Mary, but a different Mary, anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped them with her hair. Judas had, had uh, uh, a fit over this because he felt that the perfume, which the, was the equivalent of one year's wages, should be sold and the money used for the poor. And this wasn't what he was really after, though. I mean, Ju Judas, he, he didn't like the fact that Mary broke this alabaster box, this, this, this expensive box of perfume, uh, a year's salary worth. And, and he was the treasure of Jesus' ministry, if you remember that. The Bible tells us in the book of John that Judas would often help himself to the money. He liked being treasure. He had access to the funds. Jesus knew this, and he told Jesus to leave her alone. He said that they would always have the poor among them, but they would not always have him. 
And Mary, who was a worshiper at heart, Martha, who was a servant at heart, and Lazarus, who was a, a friend of Jesus and a man who, who Jesus raised from the dead just a short time before this, and, and, and Judas, who was a fan of Jesus but not a true follower. That's, who's, that's what's going on in the story right here. Bethphage was the adjacent village to Bethany. And the scripture continues with Jesus sending two of his disciples on a mission there. Luke 19, 30 through 31 says, go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that donkey? Just say the Lord needs it. So Jesus never did anything without a reason, right? He always had purpose in all that he said, all that he did. Why would Jesus want to ride a wild donkey into the city? Unbroke, untamed. This was strange because Jesus normally walked from place to place. Why a donkey on this occasion? And can I just encourage you, when you read the word of God, ask yourself these questions. Because that's where really awesome truths start to begin to unfold. And it'll speak things to your life that you never thought about before. You know, I, why... Why does it specifically say, why did Jesus specifically ask for an untamed or a wild colt that had never been ridden before? Horses were for the rich, right? They were for royalty. They were also associated with war. And when the conquering king came into a city after a conquest, he would ride a horse. But when the king came into a city riding a donkey... Traditionally back then, it was a symbol of peace. Jesus was definitely making a statement with all this. He's the prince of peace. The kingdom he was bringing was a spiritual kingdom. He refused to set up his kingdom with force. And don't you love that, that he gives you a choice? He doesn't force himself on anybody. He's a gentleman through and through. And this was also to fulfill the prophecy written in Zechariah 9.9, which was written approximately 500 years before Christ's triumphal entry. And I'll read that scripture quick. Zechariah 9.9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the donkey symbolized peace, but why did Jesus specifically say that it had to be a colt that had never been ridden? A wild, unbroke donkey. Again, Jesus is saying something here. Maybe it was a, a, a metaphor. Maybe he was showing them how he brought this unbroken, wild donkey into submission, but was unable to tame the stubborn hearts of the Jews. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, are you a wild, untamed donkey? <laughs> Please use the word donkey, okay? We are in church. We're not going to King James version it here this morning, right? But maybe it was that metaphor. Like, here I am, I'm on a Gentle, I'm coming as a gentle, peaceful, prince of peace on a donkey, which symbolizes peace, but it's a donkey that's never been ridden before. It's wild. Have you ever tried to move a donkey? How about an untamed one? He comes riding in 
man, I was, I'm, I'm able to tame this, this, stubborn, this stubborn wild donkey. I'm, I'm able to bring him into submission. But you Jews, I, that's another thing. God's people, bringing them into submission, that's another thing. We don't like that word submission, do we? We submit every day. We submit to stop signs. We submit to uh, the laws of the land. We submit to our bosses and our, our paychecks, our time clocks. We submit to our wives and our husbands, if you have a husband. We submit all the time, but most of the time we don't like it because we want to be in control of everything. That's what was going on here. There were those who had eyes to see and ears to hear, no doubt, in the city of Jerusalem. They understood, but for the most part, the people of God missed it. The Jews missed it. It's also interesting to note that Jesus had to borrow this donkey. He didn't own one. He didn't go pay for it. I mean, these are just questions you ask as you read these things, right? The only material goods that Jesus owned were the clothes on his back, and he left those behind, and then the soldiers gambled for those garments as they crucified him. And it's a significant point to make. Jesus refused to attach himself to anything in this world. Except his bride. The church. You know that the American church has allowed materialism to creep in. We are a uh, little spoiled in the land of the free here, aren't we? And I know there's a recession going on. I know that things have really gotten expensive. I hear people complaining about it all the time. I, I complain about it too. I was in the grocery store yesterday and couldn't believe that, you know, little cups of yogurt went up 100%. They used to be 50 cents. Now they're a buck. It's like three bites and it's gone, right? I like yogurt, but that was ridiculous. Things have gotten expensive, but still, with all that, the homes we live in, the cars we drive, the electronics that we own for entertainment purposes, the food that we eat and the amount of food that we eat, all of this compared to the rest of the world, it speaks volumes of how wealthy we all are. You know, I had something happen to me this last week that wasn't very pleasant. Um, I live in a, in a home that we built about seven years ago, most of you know that, and, and we enjoy it very much. We feel blessed and highly favored and and God just provided that for us. But, but you know, we, we, uh, we had it all, it's all new construction. And I had, do you know what PEX lines are? Not PEX, like <laughs> PEX. Like they're the, the plastic tubing that, that runs all through your walls and your ceilings and, and, and brings water to all your faucets, showers, toilets, all that. Well, there's a manufactured defect I found in our PEX. And it's, it's popping up leaks all over now, here's the good news. I found every leak before it did any damage. Praise God. Here's the bad news. I have to replace all the pecs in my home, and it's only seven years old. So, oh, that's so bad. I've taken a few very, very cold showers because most of it was in the hot water line. You ever take a shower in 50-degree water right out of the ground? That'll wake you up, brother. So I got to replace it all, and I really don't have running water in my house. Not hot water, for sure. And I got to thinking, at first I was like, what is the deal? And then I thought, I mean, I felt like I was like, it's hard to function without a wash machine. It's hard to brush your teeth with distilled water out of a jug. You know, it's just all those things. 
The cold water doesn't wash the whiskers away out of your razor when you're shaving like the hot water does. Have you ever noticed that? And yet, most of the world doesn't have running water in their home. And I was reminded of that and got humble real quick. We are so blessed in this country. So unbelievably blessed. If you make $50,000 a year, you're in the top 1% income in the world. And most of us, a lot of us, make more than that. Corey Ten Boom said, the problem with grasping the things of this world too tightly is that when God has to pry our hands loose, it hurts. That lady knew something. that She, she knew a few things. And, and this was Jesus, back to, the, back to the story where he didn't attach himself to anything in the world. He wasn't attached to the world. Let's make it our goal to store up treasures in heaven and not let storing treasures up on this earth consume our thinking so much. Because they can. Our whole life, our whole life can be spent struggling and struggling and struggling to make the buck and have the stuff and do all those things. And in the end, the nursing home gets it all anyway, right? Or the government. Or somebody. Luke 19, 32 through 34, that wasn't a very pleasant thing to say, but that's sort of true. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? I just think that's funny. Hey, Ma, there's somebody out back taking our colt. And they walk out there and they're like, hey, why are you untying our colt? They're not mad. They're not freaking out. They're just, why are you untying our colt? That's what Jesus said they were going to say, that someone might ask that. And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it, because that's what Jesus told them to say, right? And this is exactly, again, what Jesus said they would find. They went, they saw the donkey, so they began to untie it. The owners see what's happening. I wonder... You know what they were thinking, but when they questioned the men, they were, they were, uh, all they were told was that the Lord needs it. And, and it appears in Scripture, I don't know how you could read it any other way, that that was, that was a good enough answer for them. They must have been believers in new Christ as their Messiah. They, they must have been. They were all too happy to help them. Oh, you don't see anything like, there's no discussion. It's just like, okay, see you later. There goes our cold. As believers in Christ, what do you own that doesn't belong to Jesus. He spoke the wor worlds into existence and everything in it, and this is just another call for us to be good stewards of all that we have. It's, it's arrogant to refuse Jesus what is rightfully his. Everything we have is to be put to the master's use. And I think, what do we own that it's just for us? It's not, it's not for him. That's a great question to ask yourself, just to check your heart and check your spirit. Moving along here, Luke 19, 35 through 36. So, so when they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on, as he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. And it's important to mention uh, because by uh, this, because by putting their cloaks on the colt, they were honoring Jesus as their king. They were saying, you're our king. This is reminiscent of the Israelites laying their coats down on the ground to honor Jehu when he became king. You remember that story in the Old Testament. They shouted, Jehu is king, and the Bible says they rushed to throw down their garments. Here, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem as the king of kings and the lord of lords. 
The people had seen his miracles. They had seen the power of his teachings. This was it, the Messiah they had all been waiting for, and yet they missed it. They were looking for a king that would rid them of Roman control, as most of you know. One that would bring back the glory days of King David. They wanted a Messiah who would use his miracles to fix their problems. They weren't interested in a king who came to set up a kingdom in their hearts. They didn't want a prince of peace. They wanted a god of war. They hated being under Roman authority, but really, they hated being under anyone's authority, including the Son of God. My question this morning is, are we any different? There's a mentality that treats Jesus today like, like he's some kind of genie in the bottle. He's always there to help us, but we, can, we only call on him during personal struggles and situations when we really need him. Or when we need a quick fix to feel good, his presence, you know. I, I need a little bit of Jesus. I'm not feeling very good, so I need him. And, and I, I get that, but, but, but those are people that treat Jesus this, this the, the people that treat Jesus this way, they forget that we need him all the time, not just when we think we need him. We always need him. Every moment, every day. These, these are the people that pray, that, that pray when there's an emergency but have no daily prayer life. These are the people that search frantically through the Bible when they need to get a, a quick promise from God or a quick word from the, from the Bible when they're in a difficult circumstance, but they're not partakers of his daily bread. And that's what the Bible says it is, the Bible, the Scripture, it's, it's our daily bread of life. These, these are people that accept Jesus as their Savior, but are just not ready to let him be the Lord of their lives. And I, I just suspect that there's a lot of people in the Big C Church today that have that issue. They think they're all good because they believe God. Let me give you some, some just a real, let, let me just give you a drop the mic kind of piece of truth this morning. The devil believes in God. The devil believes in Jesus. It's not, it's not just about belief, folks. It's about submission. It's about submission. The Jews wouldn't submit to a savior who wanted to rule their life. They wanted a Messiah who would lead them as a nation to rule all the other nations. Many people sitting in church today fall into the same category, and, and they want Jesus, they want the Jesus they want, not the Jesus they need. They mold their idea of Jesus into what is convenient for themselves, instead of falling at his feet in total submission and letting Jesus mold them. Luke 19, 37 through 38. When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the king who, who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in, in highest heaven. Hosanna, Hosanna. Should we just do that this morning, just, just see how that feels a little bit? Why isn't everyone just, I, I don't want to, I, I want a big shout as if Jesus was walking down this aisle right now himself. How would we react? Ooh. Earth. Jesus. 
I mean, we would shout, wouldn't we? So let's just do that once real quick. Let's just shout. Go for it. You're the man, yeah. You God, you're the Savior. We love you, Lord. Woo. I, I, I picture as they were walking down the road, the, the crowds were on both sides of the roads and they were yelling like that. And it didn't stop. They were screaming, they were yelling. Again, because they were praising a king who they, who they wanted, who they thought he was, but they weren't praising the king that he really was. But he was receiving that kind of ovation. He's riding on a donkey, signifying peace, and the people are worshiping him as a conquering king, which he was, but not in the way that most of them thought. Matthew tells us that they were laying palm branches on the ground, and that's why we call it Palm Sunday, and they were throwing down their coats. They were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David, which means, save us now, O son of David. Save us now. Look at our king's coming. He's going to save us from these Roman people. Jerks. He's going to save us from all this. Save us now, O son of David. They seen his miracles and they went, mm, miracles, that's awesome. Now we can take that, Jesus, our Messiah, he can, he can wield that miracle power. He can wield that against the Romans. He can wield that against the government. We're going to be in charge of them. A lot of pride going on there. This was the red carpet treatment, if there ever was one. And just as they threw their clothes and, and, and palm branches at the feet of Jesus, one day, everyone will fall at the feet of Jesus. Every enemy of God will kneel before Christ and they will proclaim him as king. This will all happen for, for every one of us. So why, let me, let me ask you this question. Why not submit now to the Lord, to Jesus, because it'll result, if you do it now, will result in eternal life with him forever. Why would anyone refuse Jesus in this life? Losing out on any reservation they could have in heaven just to be forced to kneel before him later and confess him as king. What am I asking? I'm saying, why not do it now? Why wait till you're forced to do it? Because if you do it now, you're in heaven. If you do have to do it later and you're forced to, heaven's probably not going to be your home. You're going to do it either way. If you're listening to these words online or, or if, you're, uh, if, you're, uh, you know, if you're watching online or, or, if you're, or if you're hearing them today and you're like, I don't know about all this Jesus stuff, I'm telling you, as sure as I'm standing here, you will kneel before Jesus Christ one day and you will confess him as Lord. But I'm telling you, yeah, you can clap. It's going to happen. But why not do it now? a lot more advantageous if you do it now. And not just in, 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 in deed, but in, in heart change. Let them just take over you. Take all the controls of your life and live for him. Let him live through you. Romans 14, 11 says, it is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, Every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will confess to God. Moving on here. Luke 19, 39 through 40. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. How dare you let people worship you? You're a man. You're not God. 
He replied, if they keep quiet, the stones along the road are going to burst into cheers. The rocks will cry out. It's really because of their unbelief and jealousy of Jesus. Some of the Pharisees, the religious ones, they demanded that Jesus put a stop to this worship. He, he replied, and again, we just read it, if, 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 if I stop them, rocks are going to praise me. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be praised even here and now when we come together in this place. I don't want to be outpraised by any rocks. Amen. And some of you, you're on thin ice when, when it comes to that, you know. Jesus will be praised for all eternity. And I, I think of the prophet Isaiah and the visions he had of the throne room of God. And he saw the Lord sitting upon this magnificent throne. And the mighty seraphim angels were attending to him. Each one of them had six wings. An angel, these angels with six wings. And two wings were used to fly. Two wings were used to cover their face. I, I mean, probably out of reverence of the glory of God. Two wings covered their feet. They covered their feet out of, out of reverence to a, the, the holiness of, of Jesus. And they were crying out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And Isaiah says that their voices were so powerful, so majestic, that they shook the foundations of the temple of God and the whole place filled with smoke. This, church, is the awe and the majesty of the king whose kingdom knows no end. His kingdom knows no bounds. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. The earth is his footstool. The Song of Solomon declares him as the fairest of 10,000, the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley. He is the one. He is the eternal God. He is truth itself. All-powerful, all-knowing. He's everywhere all the time. You can't even begin to understand the greatness of our God and not have it overwhelm you I mean, when you begin, just begin to understand the greatness of who Jesus is, your mouth can't be silenced. Can't be silenced. Your hands can't be pocketed. Your feet can't help but dance. And I know we're in Iowa, but I mean... <laughs> they can't help it. That's all I got. <laughs> when you begin to understand the greatness of our God, it overwhelms you. And all you can do is throw up your hands and, and, and like those seraphim say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Maybe you've never experienced that kind of thing. I would pray if you haven't, I'd pray, God, give me a revelation of who you are, what you've done the awe and majesty of who you are. And, and Isaiah yelled in that situation, he yelled, man, I am ruined. I'm ruined. Why did he say that? I mean, God is so good. Why is he ruined? He's ruined because he saw the majesty and the glory and the perfection of our God, and he saw himself so far from it. He got it. You stand before a judge and it can be intimidating because they hold your life, your future in their hands. 
If any of you have ever been arrested, there's, there's this element of I'm caught and I'm being handcuffed. And I, I'm not saying this, I know this by experience, but um, there's times I should have been arrested and wasn't. But there's this, because there's an authority figure, there's this awe of like, I got, I got to be, I got, I got to. We'll take it down some other, other, take it down a few more notches. Have you ever been followed very closely by a police officer when you're driving? You're like, seatbelt check, speed limit check, blinker check. Oh, he's still following me. Blinker check. Oh, he's still following me. Blinker check. Trying to get rid of him, right? You're just like. That's what, we know that a little bit, but, but when, when you understand the greatness of God, that, that, that's, a, that's a pale comparison, not, not even close. He holds eternity in the palm of his hand. He knows every thought you've ever thought, everything you've ever done, every action you've ever committed, every manipulation that you didn't even know you were doing yourself. He knows it all. He sees it all. He knows the good, the bad, and the ugly. And this was Jesus coming into Jerusalem. They're throwing down the palm branches and the coats, and they were yelling, Hosanna, save us now. Save us now. Luke 19, 41 through 44. But as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, all these people are praising. And this is how I know that he knew. That their worship wasn't, I mean, there was, there was worshipers in the crowd that were amazing and were truly got it. There weren't. There's no doubt about that. But I also know that Jesus knew the hearts of those that were shouting, shouting for him and, they were missing it. And we know that by this verse. As he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city, he began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people, the Jews, would his, his own people, right, would understand the way to peace. But now it is too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from, all, from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when it was God who visited you. Jesus wept over the city. Not because he knew what was ahead for him. He wept because of the people's unbelief. They couldn't see the truth about him. I said earlier that there were many different kinds of people mentioned in the events leading up to the triumphal entry of Christ as he came to the city of Jerusalem. And all these people, every one of them, they all had a choice in how they would respond to Jesus and the things they were seeing and hearing. And today, we have a choice in our response as well. Maybe you're like Bartimaeus. You're blind, but your blindness is spiritual. You, you've been blind to those who, who Jesus really, you've been blind to who Jesus really is. And you need Christ to touch your spiritual eyes today. He wants all of you, not just a piece, not just the parts you're willing to give him. He wants it all. He wants to be the Lord of your life. 
Maybe you're like Zacchaeus and you are eager to take in what Jesus has to say to you. That'd be a great thing. Maybe, maybe you're like Mary who just wanted to sit and worship at the feet of Jesus or you're, you're not going to let any rocks out praise you, you know? You're just gonna worship him. You are what Jesus referred to when he said, the Father seeks those that worship in spirit and in truth. Your worship is authentic. Maybe you're a Mary. Maybe you have, have Judas tendencies. You love money. You love power. And you're not honest with your own motives. They're gonna be revealed. They always are, eventually. They will be revealed. Maybe you are into material things, storing up things that will eventually burn. The gambling soldiers did this. They gambled Jesus' clothes away. Maybe you can relate to those who gave their worldly possessions at the drop of a hat for the kingdom's purpose. You're a good steward and everything you have is his. It's an awesome place to be. Maybe you're like that unbroken wild donkey. You've let Christ come in and tame you, or maybe you haven't yet. You're still kicking and bucking at every turn. You see how you can take yourself, your life, and just put it in these stories and go, yeah, connections here. Maybe you're like those who laid their coats and placed palm branches on the road. You're, you're a worshiper, but some who worshiped that day were worshiping who they wanted Jesus to be rather than who he really was, as we've said. Are you willing to worship the true Christ and all that he is and not just the parts you personally connect with? Ah, I like that about Jesus. I, I like that part about Jesus. I, I'm gonna go with that. Folks, the Bible is not some kind of spiritual buffet that you get to pick and choose what you want. It's all or nothing. Jesus isn't like that either. Well, I like the fact that he, he talked about love, but then he, he said some things that were pretty crazy too. Take it all. You got to take it all in. And when you understand who he was, he didn't say anything crazy, by the way. Maybe you have a Pharisee tendencies. You've depended upon your religion so long that you've lost sight of the relationship that you're supposed to have with Jesus. Like it's become, it's become religion instead of relationship. It's become duty instead of joy and desire. Maybe you're one of those people of Jerusalem and Jesus weeps for you because of your unbelief. And your unbelief is proven by how you live your life. And no matter where you're at today in all of this, I... No matter who you identify with most in these events, there, there's one thing that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt. Jesus wants to make a triumphal entry, a triumphant entry into your heart this morning. He wants to come in with you just saying, come on, I'll take you all. Take it all, all of who you are, and you can have all of me. So would you bow your heads this morning? I'm going to ask this question as, as we start this Easter week. Let's be the people we're supposed to be, the people that God wants us to be. Let's not just take parts of Jesus, let's take them all. And if you're here this morning and you've never asked Jesus into your heart, this is your moment. I'm going to pray right now. And I want the congregation to repeat after me, Lord Jesus, I love you. Come into my heart today. 
cleanse me of all my sins. I give you myself, all that I am. Be my Lord, be my Savior. Take the controls of my life and use me for whatever purpose that you have for me. I'm yours and I choose you today to be mine. In Jesus' name, amen. If you pray that, that prayer, and it's not a magical prayer or anything, but if you prayed that with a heart that was authentic and you want Jesus to come in and be your Savior and be your Lord and you've never prayed that before, guess what? You just made a reservation in heaven for all eternity. That, that's, that's it. And if you did that this morning for the first time, I really want you to stop by the offices in a few minutes and just, just let us know. Let us know, hey, I prayed that prayer for the first time today. I prayed, I prayed to ask Jesus in my heart today or... Or maybe you rededicated this morning. You just prayed that prayer as kind of a rededication. If that was you today, I, I, we want to hear about that because we want to celebrate with you. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.